This is the Capital Literature Podcast, bringing you investment letters in audio. The Capital Literature Podcast is a SEBITS capital service for the investment community. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All rights belong to the respective owners. Heller House, First Quarter 2021 Letter to Investors What is the goal of our partnership? It's to find the world's most spectacular businesses, understand them deeply, acquire pieces of them at attractive valuations, and own them for the long term. What is a spectacular business? It's a business that has massive tailwinds because it is riding one or more technology adoption curves, such as the rise of cloud computing, digital payments, and developer tools, is mission-driven and founder-led, they attract more talented and committed employees generates high returns on invested capital and can continue to grow for a long time. Typically, it's also disruptive, starts at the low end and improves over time, displacing incumbents, builds an entire new market the incumbents can't even see, or a hybrid of both. After a strong start to the year, at one point in early February, we were up nearly 20% year-to-date, we saw incredible volatility in the months of March, April, and May. Stocks, including some of our own, saw up or down intraday movements in the high teens, stocks moving up or down 17 to 19 percent. Year-to-date we are down 6.9 percent. It's important to keep this number in the context of the paragraph above, we have frequently had daily movements in the portfolio in excess of 7 percent, so the snapshot performance year-to-date looks very much like noise, and one could say, just as easily, that we're flat. What is certainly not flat is the business performance of our companies. What's been puzzling has been the market reaction, fantastic earnings have either been greeted with a spike in the share price which faded over the ensuing days, or with a dramatic, head-scratching drop. Figure. Tweet by Marcelo P. Lima from May 12, 2021. Quote. I open up the investor letter, look at the results, they're great, look at the estimate for the full year revenues, in in line with my internal model, then look at the screen and see it minus 17%. Anyone else have this feeling? Cashtag Wix. End of quote. Here is a sampling of some of the headlines from our companies this earnings season. Square, gross profits up 79% overall, and gross profits from Cash App up 171% year over year. Recall that Square remains in fast growth mode, like all of our companies, reinvesting its gross profits aggressively to acquire more customers, all while generating free cash flows. Square is building a digital bank on top of its merchant business. You can read more about Square here. Wix, revenues up 41% and raise guidance for the rest of the year. Strong demand across all product lines with new customers landing at higher price points. Abishai Abrahami, co-founder and CEO of Wix, reiterated his expectation that in the next 5-7 to years, half of any new site built on the internet will be built on Wix. Read more about Wix on our blog post. Roku, platform revenue up 101%, this is the advertising business, overall revenue, which includes the sale of Roku sticks, which are sold at cost as an onboarding tool, was up 79%. The company now has 53.6 million active accounts, up 35% year over year. By comparison, the largest cable company in the US has less than half as many subscribers. Read our thesis on Roku. Twilio, Revenue up 62%, 
and a very solid dollar-based net expansion rate of 133%. This is a measure of how much existing customers are growing their spend with Twilio. The company continues to broaden its offerings with acquisitions and partnerships, and recently reorganized its R&D efforts into three units, one of which will be headed by Peter Reinhardt, the excellent CEO of recently acquired Segment. We wrote Twilio up on our blog. This is a sampling of companies that are among our top holdings, and all of them are down for the year, despite reporting excellent results. In terms of potential future returns, they have therefore become more attractive than they were six months ago. The combination of lower share prices and higher expected revenues, and the passage of half a year, increases our expected returns. How does this work? Imagine that we model a certain investment to deliver a long-term return of about 20% per year to our partnership. A couple of quarters go by and the company projects higher revenue growth this year, let's say, 35% growth rather than our modeled 25%, and the stock price declines by 10%. Our long-term IRR is now 22.4%. This happened across several of our holdings. Please keep in mind that these estimates of returns have huge error bars on them. They are not forecasting tools, rather, they are tools to give us an idea of what types of expectations are implied by the current stock price. Also, please read about the limitations of modeling. Why have prices declined? In late March I sent out an email with the subject, it's October again, time to invest, you can read it on our blog. I made an analogy to October 2018, the upside-down market, when low-growth stocks moved up while high-growth stocks moved down. After a respite in April, May was once again extremely volatile, and the narrative once again was all about inflation, a potential rise in rates, and how this might hurt the valuation of high-growth companies. As I noted in the email, shares of low-growth, old-economy companies like General Mills and Coca-Cola have done well. This reversal was likely the result of a massive reallocation of capital to a more defensive posture, if inflation and higher rates are coming, other people will sell shares of high-growth stocks, so I better be first and reallocate to low-growth stocks. It's a Keynesian beauty contest view of the world. And it works, in the short term. Over the next several years, however, there is no doubt that our portfolio of fast-growing businesses led by exceptional teams, which we own at attractive valuations, will dramatically outperform the low-growth group. But in the short term, a lot of wacky things can happen. AMC, a slow-growing movie theater company, is up 2,000% this year, it's become a meme stock. Dillard's, which reported Q1 sales 6% below those of the same quarter two years ago, is up 187% this year, remember the last time you shopped at Dillard's? Yeah, neither do I. Obviously, this won't end well, but it can keep going for a long time. This short-term game is not our game. Our game, rather, is to partner with the best business operators running the world's best companies, at reasonable valuations, and stay the course over the long run. We think of ourselves as business owners and for us the short-term fluctuations of the stock market are just opportunities to buy more of what we like at lower valuations, which we have done over the past few months. Venture capital funds typically have 10-year lockups with options to extend, and they don't usually mark down their portfolios if the stock of a publicly traded comparable is down for the month or the year. Yet we are required to mark our positions to market every month. This can be an asset, because our investors have greater transparency. But we must be careful not to let it turn into a liability, by distracting us from the phenomenal underlying performance of our businesses and the value they are creating right in front of our eyes. The message is, 
Stay the course. Blockchains and cryptocurrencies. Many investors have asked me about crypto, so I wanted to write a bit about my views here. I have been studying the field on and off for several years and have now turned into full on mode. In short, this is a fundamental computer science innovation and a new asset class. A lot of existing companies will get destroyed by the crypto revolution. If you squint, you can see the tsunami coming from far away. The only question is how quickly it'll arrive. Until recently, I could only see a speculative case for crypto, yet with broad adoption of real use cases, I believe some of these assets are finally investable. New empires will be built on top of crypto, and I have spent a considerable amount of time studying various potential opportunities. We don't have any investments in the space, yet. It might make sense for us to conduct all of our crypto-related investments in a dedicated vehicle, rather than in our current partnership. What is interesting, from our perspective, is that very few people are doing the necessary homework to understand this nascent industry, and there is a lot of work to be done. This is an entire new paradigm which requires new thinking and due diligence. In early May, Berkshire Hathaway's Charlie Munger said, in response to a question on crypto, quote, I think the whole development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of the civilization. End of quote. Needless to say, Munger is wrong. To get started, I think it's important to understand the basics behind public key cryptography. I read this book on the topic many years ago, and it's still relevant, Link to, Crypto, How the Code Rebels Beat the Government Saving Privacy in the Digital Age by Stephen Levy. Next, I suggest starting with the Bitcoin white paper. You will note that it's the first link in a long list of papers. This long list of papers is important. In order to really understand crypto, it's important to appreciate the computer science problems people were trying to solve decades before, and why finally, in 2008, the proposed solutions coalesced into the very first iteration of this new technology in the form of Bitcoin. For a more laid-back presentation, I suggest watching the Princeton Lectures on Bitcoin, and for a general audience overview, this book is decent, linked to, Bitcoin and the inside story of the misfits and millionaires trying to reinvent money digital gold by Nathaniel Popper. But keep in mind that this is just the tip of a very large and rapidly growing iceberg. Bitcoin is actually the least interesting of all crypto projects and the field is evolving rapidly on a daily basis. What is also interesting is that many of the people who have made the most money in crypto so far have done the least homework. This is because new industry Cambrian explosions favor the bold. From the seed of Bitcoin sprouted a cornucopia. This too follows the pattern of technological revolutions. From Wikipedia, starting with Daria in 1895, at least 1,900 different companies were formed, producing over 3,000 makes of American automobiles. Similarly, among the list of top 20 crypto projects, out of the 5,477 in existence, it's easier to copy software than a car, there are incredible opportunities alongside bona fide scams, just among the top 20. So far there has been little differentiation among these two categories, but like any boom, that will change. While the early movers have made money, oftentimes by sheer luck, our job is to understand and select the very best businesses and own those, yes, these are businesses, albeit in a totally new form. Quote. A specter is haunting the modern world, the specter of crypto anarchy. Computer technology is on the verge of providing the ability for individuals and groups to communicate and interact with each other in a totally anonymous manner. Two persons may exchange messages, conduct business, 
and negotiate electronic contracts without ever knowing the true name, or legal identity, of the other. Interactions over networks will be untraceable, via extensive rerouting of encrypted packets and tamper-proof boxes which implement cryptographic protocols with nearly perfect assurance against any tampering. Reputations will be of central importance, far more important in dealings than even the credit ratings of today. These developments will alter completely the nature of government regulation, the ability to tax and control economic interactions, the ability to keep information secret, and will even alter the nature of trust and reputation. End of quote. No, this is not the Bitcoin white paper of 2008. Rather, it's the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto by Tim May, written 20 years earlier in 1988. May didn't realize it would take another 33 years for his forecast to turn into reality. The ingredients were there, in nascent form. But today, in 2021, we finally have all the advances in place to fulfill this vision, and much more. It's a mistake to think that crypto is merely a currency. This is just one use case among hundreds of potential use cases, computing platform, legal contracts, social media, art, and most things related to finance, exchanges, banking, lending, fundraising. It's also a mistake to think that crypto is being used primarily by the lawless. This is a red herring. The reality is that crypto projects enable completely new businesses to exist, with vastly lower cost structures, and this will be deeply disruptive to many old economy incumbents, and some new economy ones as well. Figure. Tweet by Marcelo P. Lima from April 14, 2021. Quote. Coinbase was founded in 2021. Uniswap was founded in 2018. It's a fully decentralized exchange. In 2020, Uniswap did more trading volume than Coinbase for an entire month. End of quote. Not mentioned in the tweet, Uniswap has 33 employees while Coinbase has 1,249. Just the tip of the iceberg. Investing in the metaverse. I'm glad I wrote our first take on crypto, because crypto will be a central player in the coming metaverse. What is the metaverse? Its full expression will be a persistent, immersive virtual reality. We will shop in the metaverse, we will hang out with friends, play games and sports, and learn about ancient Rome not by reading about it in a book, but by being there in person in a photorealistic Rome filled with non-player characters, like a video game. We will work in close collaboration with colleagues from around the world through lifelike avatars. Quote. The future is already here it's just not evenly distributed. End of quote. By William Gibson. Figure. Facebook post by Mark Zuckerberg from April 23, 2021. Quote, my 10 a.m. meeting was in VR at the Mausoleum of Augustus in Rome with our partner Tim. So that was pretty awesome. End of quote. Mark Zuckerberg is an early adopter. If you want to try this out, I highly recommend the virtual reality headset by Facebook, Oculus Quest, which has been flying off the shelves. I wrote about Facebook's attempt to speed up the adoption of VR here. The term metaverse was coined in the 1992 novel Snow Crash and its most picturesque representation is probably from the movie Ready Player One. If you've tried a VR headset, you'll immediately understand the appeal, you're not watching something, rather, you're experiencing it, viscerally. Around the time Facebook's founder Mark Zuckerberg acquired Oculus in 2015, he wrote a memo arguing that Facebook should acquire the digital animation company and game engine maker Unity. Our vision is that VR slash or will be the next major computing platform after mobile in about 10 years. 
It can be even more ubiquitous than mobile, especially once we reach R, since you can always have it on. It's more natural than mobile since it uses our normal human visual and gestural systems. It can even be more economical, because once you have a good VR slash R system, you no longer need to buy phones or TVs or many other physical objects, they can just become apps in a digital store. Zuck goes on to explain that strategically, Facebook is disadvantaged since it will always need to abide by the App Store rules imposed by Google and Apple, which prevent Facebook from offering things like its own App Store. Apple has been in trial about this recently. He goes through the various pieces Facebook will have to either build or acquire in order to turn this vision, controlling the next computing platform, into a reality. Quote, This is why I am supportive of acquiring Unity, expecting we will acquire an R company in the next few years and opportunistically acquiring VR app teams, we're considering investing billions of dollars into Unity over the next decade. If we don't own Unity, then at best we can incentivize them to prioritize doing this for us and everything will just move more slowly, but at worst someone may acquire them and block this from happening at all or with us. Unity will increase the adoption of key platform services like Avatar, Content Marketplace and App Distribution Store. We will achieve this by integrating these services with Unity to make them both superior and easier to use. As an example of superiority, if we want to make sure our avatars or identity systems work really well in Unity, we'll easily be able to do that. No one else building a competing avatar system will be able to modify the Unity engine that everyone uses to support their services in a first-class way. End of quote. The whole memo is worth reading. Ever since I read it, I too have wanted to own Unity. It's a duopoly, alongside Unreal, in what's known as a game engine, the collection of design tools, physics simulation, animation, and everything else needed to build a modern game. Who uses Unity? Companies like BMW and Skanska, tech giants like Tencent, game creators like Niantic, and even movie directors like John Favreau and James Cameron. The company was founded in a small Copenhagen apartment in 2004 by David Helgeson, Nicholas Francis, and Joachim Anti. Helgeson is currently one of Unity's directors and Anti the chief technology officer. The company's mission is to enable more people to be creators, in one executive's words, quote-unquote, the 3D operating system of the world. In textbook innovators' dilemma fashion, Unity's first customers were independent game developers who were fine with a less sophisticated product. Over time, that product improved and became the gold standard. Today, Unity's main competition is Unreal Engine, owned by privately held Epic Games, and homegrown game engines, which, given the massive investments needed to keep their tooling up to date, are increasingly going obsolete. Whereas Unreal is more focused on AAA titles for PCs and consoles, Unity dominates on mobile and virtual reality, which is a key area of investment for Facebook. About 71% of the top 1,000 mobile games were made with Unity, and 60% of all augmented and virtual reality content is built on Unity. Flowing out of this are 3 billion monthly active end-users, that is, players who consume content created or operated with Unity. Unity's two divisions, Create Solutions and Operate Solutions, are give customers different on-ramps. Create, about one-third of revenues is sold through monthly subscriptions ranging from free for personal and student use all the way to thousands of dollars per seat for enterprise. As the name implies, Create includes the tools needed to script, design and develop real-time games and experiences. 
Operate Solutions is monetized through a revenue share and usage-based model. Customers can run their games on Unity's infrastructure and take advantage of Unity's tools for acquiring and retaining customers, ads, in-app purchases, and maximizing lifetime value. For example, Unity offers a service it calls GameTune which delivers data science as a service and allows customer to optimize gamer engagement by quote, changing game progression speed, in-app purchase bundles and difficulty settings. End of quote, because Unity has huge scale, they capture and analyze 50 billion in-app events per day, across 20 platforms, they can offer the best ROI in the industry. As Unity gets bigger, the case for continuing to run on proprietary systems becomes more tenuous. Unity's 1.5 million monthly active creators themselves are very engaged, those on the Unity Pro tier spend about 5 hours per day working on Unity. The company runs on a mix of third-party infrastructure, AWS and GCP, as well as its own data centers. This gives end-users more flexibility on cost and performance when running real-time games. As Unity's creative tools become more photorealistic and lifelike, the market expands. Companies like BMW might choose to use Unity rather than time-consuming photo shoots for their marketing. Building information management systems can be placed into virtual reality. Expensive on-location filmmaking and green screens are replaced with LED walls. Today, there are a number of applications for Unity completely outside of gaming. CEO John Ricciatello explains. Quote, My strong view is real-time 3D is going to be without doubt the largest form of media on the planet. Most games are built that way today. But very few of the movies that you watch, very little of the social media. You don't go to your doctor and look at a real-time 3D model of your heart, you should. I can give you dozens upon dozens upon dozens of use cases that will move into the arena of real-time 3D. And if I start framing for you what I see on the horizon with some of the hardware, you will believe me even more. So I believe we have a market that will double, double and double again. And I believe we have an opportunity to establish for unity north of a 75% or 80% market share in the fullness of time. And that the best use of our mind time and the best use of our investment is to build towards that outcome. End of quote. Unity today can be considered infrastructure software for the rise of 3D worlds, including the metaverse, and its competitive advantages keep improving as the company grows the market, replaces homegrown game engines, and reinvests to develop both the create and operate sides of the business. John Ricciatello, who was handpicked by Unity's founders as Unity's CEO in 2014, was previously the COO of gaming giant Electronic Arts and co-founder of a private equity firm. He believes the company can grow revenues at 30% per year over the long term. Quote, Our vision is to ensure Unity is a once-in-a-generation company, a true platform that enables creation and operation of real-time 3D applications at extreme scale. We envision a world where we have hundreds of millions of creators on our platform, from consumer creators, to professionals in gaming and dozens of industries. By executing on this vision, we believe we can build a company that delivers revenue growth of approximately 30% over the long run. End of quote. Unity is still in heavy investment mode and is inching towards cash flow break-even. Over time, we expect the company to generate high free cash flow margins. We began acquiring shares of Unity shortly after the IPO in September of last year, and with the benefit of two quarters of earnings after the IPO, our underwriting seems on track to deliver very attractive long-term returns, in the high teens or low 20s in terms of compounded return.
Our next investment in the coming metaverse is Roblox. Founded in the same year as Unity by David Bazuki and Eric Castle, Roblox is about 3x larger than Unity in terms of bookings, a better measure of revenues in Roblox's case. In 2013, Castle sadly passed away from cancer. I've also been interested in owning this company for a while, and in October I reached out to CFO Mike Guthrie to find out if they were interested in raising more capital. Earlier in February, the venture firm A16Z led a $150 million round at a valuation of $4 billion. A year and a month later, Roblox went public at 10 times that valuation. Now you understand my interest in investing in private companies. The only similarities between Roblox and Unity are the founding year and the metaverse theme. Rather than infrastructure software, Roblox is a self-contained universe of experiences, they used to be called games, but with the epic trial, Roblox changed all the references. When you open up Roblox, you see a kaleidoscope of games, crossed out, experiences. These experiences, 20 million of them, 13 million of which were experienced by users in 2020, were created by Roblox's 1.25 million developers and consumed by its 43 million daily active users. They all live inside a tight ecosystem with its own currency, Robux, the exchange rate is set by Roblox. Customers can buy a la carte or subscribe, subscribing gets you more Robux for the buck. DAOs are split almost evenly between ages over 13 and under, although the overgroup has been growing nearly twice as fast. One of the questions about Roblox was whether kids would simply graduate and move to other games, like Fortnite, but the data shows there are plenty of older players joining Roblox, which is a key metric to monitor for future growth. Given the importance of developers to Roblox's ecosystem, the company sets aside a large portion of revenues to compensate them for creating and animating the various experiences. Developers earn Robux for creating experiences and avatars and use Robux to either reinvest in the Roblox ecosystem or cash out into real-world currency. Roblox has placed a big emphasis on safety. In the chat, it's impossible to curse, Roblox blocks foul language. There is extensive human and automated review of everything from audio files to images and videos. Last year, the company responded to over 11 million customer inquiries, and had a human respond to safety issues within 10 minutes of submission. Roblox is already massively profitable and gushing free cash flow. Our long-term model for Roblox takes into account the growth of daily active users, currently at 44 million, and the average bookings per DAO, we expect about $67 this year, and much more in the future. Bazuki's vision is immense, and as the team continues to execute, Roblox is well positioned to be an enormous beneficiary of the rise of social gaming and the creative economy in the age of the metaverse. We began acquiring shares of Roblox shortly after the IPO in March of this year and believe it could generate long-term compounded returns of at least 20% for our partnership. An ultimate vision of the metaverse will involve lifelike avatars, and the industry is working hard at getting there. The improvements in gaming engines neatly summarized in the sequence of Lara Croft avatars from 1996 to 2018. This year, Unreal Engine released its meta-human creator, quote, a cloud-based app for creating high-fidelity digital humans in minutes. End of quote. Watch this three-minute video to get a sense of where the state of the art is. We are very close, or perhaps already at the point, of being able to create digital avatars that are indistinguishable from reality. This is Roblox's vision. Bazuki, Roblox's founder, 
has said that eventually Roblox experiences will resemble those of a first-run movie. Property goes digital. How does the metaverse intersect with crypto? Digital property rights. In the physical world we have well-established property laws. But in the digital world, goods are just bits that can be infinitely replicated. Taylor Swift just released her new album Folklore. If Swift only distributed her music as an MP3 file, it would have no value because anyone would be able to listen to it for free. It wasn't until the invention of streaming services that enforced digital rights management, which uses public key cryptography, that she was able to create digital scarcity. That scarcity gives it value, but it's enforced by a central counterparty, in this case the streaming companies, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon and others. It wasn't until the creation of a decentralized encrypted database, Bitcoin, that we could have both digital scarcity and no central counterparty. This may sound trivial, but it's not. The same way Netflix and Roku operate completely outside the traditional media infrastructure by going over the top, using internet protocols, not cable or broadcast TV, crypto goes over the top of governments. This isn't as nefarious as it sounds, it merely means that with crypto, one need not rely on the regulatory apparatus of the government, laws and contracts, math carries the day. Cryptographic blockchains enable, for the first time, the reality of digital sovereignty, you can own a piece of digital property, and no one can confiscate it. Because crypto is permissionless, anyone can access it, censorship-resistant and based on math, the only way someone can confiscate your property is by stealing your private keys. Today, if you create an avatar in Roblox, it belongs to Roblox, not to you. But in the near future, that avatar will live on chain and the artist will retain the property rights. Today, many artists sell their first piece of art for a nominal amount, a few thousand dollars, only to watch it appreciate to millions later in their career. In the analog world, art collectors earn that upside. In the crypto-backed digital world, an artist can retain a royalty on a piece of art indefinitely, getting a cut of any future appreciation. There will likely be many versions of the metaverse, we can be sure that some of them will have a vibrant decentralized cryptocurrency as its medium of exchange. Maybe the metaverse itself will live on chain. As always, thank you for the privilege of managing a portion of your hard-earned wealth. Over 95% of mine is invested alongside yours. I look forward to many more years of prosperous and profitable partnership. Sincerely yours. Marcelo P. Lima, Managing Partner